Hello and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the politics podcast from the Yorkshire Post. I am Caitlin Doherty, your Westminster correspondent. This week, you will be hearing from social affairs correspondent Vic Finan, who has spoken to Sarah Hill, the chief executive of the Independent Domestic Abuse Service, following the conviction of Wayne Cousins for the murder of Sarah Everard. In the wake of Sarah Everard, we, of course, had the controversy in North Yorkshire over former North Yorkshire Police and Crime Commissioner Philip Allett and his comments in the wake of that court case. They, uh, Vic and Sarah had a really interesting conversation, so I'm sure that a lot of people will take a lot from what they had to say. However, that wasn't the only Yorkshire prevalence in the news this week. The region took centre stage for the showpiece event in the House of Commons as two of our MPs, Rishi Sunak and Rachel Reeves, delivered the budget and the opposition's response on Wednesday. Uh, They weren't the only ones taking their place at the dispatch box as Doncaster MP and former Labour leader Ed Miliband was drafted in to do Prime Minister's questions last minute when party leader Sir Keir Starmer tested positive for COVID just minutes before he was due in the House of Commons. I have been told that the uh, two shadow ministers got messages calling for them to step in at quarter to 12 on Wednesday morning, just 15 minutes before all of the TV cameras were turned on to Parliament and the big news kicked off. And I certainly wouldn't want to be doing that job at that short of notice. However, once all of the drama was out of the way, the budget is, of course, some of the most serious parliamentary business of the year. Richmond MP Rishi Sunak was on his feet for nearly an hour in front of MPs on Wednesday afternoon and he used a faster than expected economic recovery from the pandemic to set a course for almost £23 billion a year of extra public spending. Planned cuts to government departments were cancelled and more money was provided to schools, transport and the court system. Of that cash, Yorkshire looks set to receive about £200 million of a £1.7 billion levelling up fund uh, cash boost with uh, projects across the region benefiting in Wakefield, Doncaster and elsewhere. However, despite the Chancellor's optimism, there were still concerns among the public and experts about the impact this winter is going to have on the cost of living and whether families are really going to be struggling through the upcoming colder months. Rishi Sunak has blamed rising inflation and the surge in energy prices on economies around the globe reopening after the pandemic and their months of shutdown. And while I'm sure that the Chancellor would have loved his big speech this week to have been the post-COVID budget amid the backdrop of the soaring prices and the leader of the opposition becoming ill at exactly the wrong moment, it looks like the virus is going to be hanging over the nation's finances for a long time to come yet. That is it from me this week, but I'll hand you into Vic's capable hands and we'll speak next week. Today's guest on Pod's Own Country is Sarah Hill. Sarah is the Chief Executive of the Independent Domestic Abuse Service, or IDAS, which provides support and refuge to survivors of domestic violence across Yorkshire. She also sits as chair of the board of Women's Aid, a national domestic violence charity which runs refuge services as well as advocating and campaigning on behalf of survivors. Very sadly, as we all know, violence against women and girls has been prominent in the news over the past year, particularly in the light of the tragic deaths of Sabina Nessa and Sarah Everard, who was from York. And earlier this month, the police commissioner of North Yorkshire and York, Philip Allett, 
resigned after making comments about Sarah's arrest and murder. He said Sarah, who was kidnapped by a then-serving police officer, should never have submitted to her arrest and suggested women should be more streetwise. And it's a topic that Sarah Hill has a lot to say about. So with that in mind, welcome to Pod's Own Country, Sarah. Thank you very much, Victoria. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Sarah, this year's been um, particularly difficult in your sector. Um, I'd like to hear a bit about how it's been running, IDAS, both in light of the 18 months or so of the pandemic and also um, in the aftermath of these particularly distressing high-profile domestic violence cases. Thank you. Uh, The pandemic has uh, undoubtedly put huge pressure on organisations like ours that are providing support to victims of domestic abuse and sexual violence. What happened in the pandemic is, of course, is that you had a perfect storm. So you had people in abusive relationships and lockdown, very isolated, unable to seek help in the normal ways that they might, unable to uh, connect in the same ways that they would with family, with friends, with other support services. So as we started to see lockdown withdrawal, we, we experienced a big increase in, in those people coming forward for support to our services. And I know across the country, other services have found the same. So what we found as well in lockdown is that people have suffered more extreme abuse. Um, there's been a lot of emotional abuse and, and further isolation. So that's been really, really difficult to, to cope as a charity. And then, of course, over the last few months and, and in the, the wake of the, the Sarah Everard murder, all, all of the kind of things that have happened in the press have, have highlighted really um, some of the institutional problems that the, the country has in terms of um, institutional misogyny and um, the attitudes and the um, beliefs that sort of underpin some of the violence and abuse of girls, both in their homes and in, in public in the streets. So it's, it's been a really tough time, I think, both for victims of abuse and survivors of abuse, but also for charities and organisations supporting those victims and survivors. You work um, in IDAS across um, many different parts of Yorkshire. What, what do you think are the key challenges facing our region in particular, and perhaps different pockets of the region are experiencing different kinds of challenges? I'm interested in in what you're seeing on a day-to-day basis working with survivors? That's a really interesting question because we work across parts of North Yorkshire where there are huge rural issues, so there's rural isolation, so it can be difficult for victims to come forward and get that support that they need. Um, it can they, they can feel very isolated in small rural communities. And we also support people in Barnsley, in Sheffield, very urban, large areas. In Sheffield in particular, there have been difficulties, I think, for um, certain minority ethnic groups for coming forward and they've experienced more isolation during the lockdown. And I, I suppose we just see um, the impacts of abuse in, in all its forms, but it, it does sort of vary geographically too. And tell me a little bit about the services that IDAS runs. I understand there's refuges, but there's also helplines that women can contact are are they solely for women or can men contact them too no it's interesting this victoria because refuges are actually probably quite a small part of what we do so we support over ten thousand people each year so we support probably around nine thousand women and and a thousand men each year and most of those people we support in their own homes so we provide emotional support support to court 
uh, groups and um, helpline services. We've also developed live chat as well for people if they need to contact us really anonymously. The refuge um, services we provide, we, we probably only support about 200 families in refuge each year. And then we have also dispersed accommodation. So with our dispersed accommodation, we can offer support to those people that can't um, go into refuge, like male victims or people with perhaps more complex needs and, and, and uh, support needs around sort of alcohol abuse and those sorts of things. So we provide loads and loads of different support based on what people really need us to provide to them. And towards the end of the interview, Sarah, um, I'll ask you to talk about how listeners of Pod's Own Country can get in touch with IDAS if they have any concerns about them or someone who they live with. I want to turn now to uh, the very sad um, cases that we've seen over the past year, uh, and particularly in light of Philip Allett, who was the North Yorkshire and York Police and Crime Commissioner's comments. What did you make of his comments, Sarah, and of course his uh, subsequent resignation as our region's Police and Crime Commissioner? I think like everyone, um, every survivor and victim we've spoken to about this have said the same, you know, that they were dismayed by the comments, um, but also dismayed, I think, that the it felt that the apology wasn't really heartfelt as it didn't perhaps come, come quickly enough. Um, and really, that survivors and victims, what they need, they need to trust in, in leaders and they need to trust in, in services and they need people in leadership positions to be able to understand their concerns. Um, victims won't come forward to report crimes unless they have faith in the system. So I suppose hearing um, leaders in those positions make comments like that, um, that in somehow suggest, of course, that victims are to blame or responsible for what happens to them or can somehow prevent perpetrators' behaviour, it, it kind of breaches trust, uh, which is a sad part of this. So takes a while to, to build that trust back up in those services and systems when people make those sorts of unfortunate most unfortunate comments and my understanding is that IDAS actually offered to meet with Mr Allah in light of those comments and engage with him clearly things have moved on since then um, he did tender his resignation but had that meeting have gone ahead what what do you envisage that that would have looked like is it the responsibility of places like IDAS to educate men uh, in positions of authority about domestic violence and violence against women and girls? It's that, again, it's a really interesting question. So so you would hope that there are all sorts of other responsible um, parties that, that will come into being to, to um, invest in, in training to ensure that people uh, understand the misogyny that can underpin abuse of, of girls and women uh, but of course, IDAS, we, we, we do provide training. We, we train over 10,000 people each year. So we have online training, we have face to face training, and we are keen to move things forward. We don't, you know, we want to um, prevent abuse of girls and women in the future. We want people to live happy, safe lives. So we will do our part to engage with people. If they're willing to engage with us, of course we will. Um, obviously, now looking forward, the region's going to see a by-election in November of our new police, fire and crime commissioner. Uh, we're in Perda right now, which means that Sarah, because of her role, uh, can't um, throw herself behind any particular candidate, of course. Uh, but I'd be really interested to hear what you think the priorities of the candidates need to be um, and what you want to see from the successful winner of that by-election. 
Yeah, well, I'm obviously going to say there are thousands of, of people each year in the county of North Yorkshire that suffer abuse, that suffer domestic abuse and sexual violence. And that's got to be a priority. It is a moral cost to society, to the community. It keeps girls and women feeling unsafe and, of course, impacts on male victims too. Um, and it costs millions each year for the police, social care, health services. So I would like candidates to really kind of grasp the um, need for both investment in services, but also investment to um, work within the institutions that are, are serving victims. So to ensure that the police have the resources that they need to respond appropriately, that they have the training, that leaders can speak clearly and openly about the need to change culture, to work to um, ensure that victims can access the support that they need, but also to prevent victims of the future by investing in preventative programmes, by investing in education, by working with young men and young women to, to sort of change attitudes and to change culture. Mm. Now, the Conservatives have already announced their um, candidate they're standing for the by-election. She's a councillor called Zoe Metcalf. By the time listeners of the podcast um, come to hear this interview, I'm hoping and assuming that Labour and the Liberal Democrats will have also announced their candidates. Are you in favour, Sarah, given the situation behind Mr Allett's resignation of an all-woman shortlist for this by-election? What we like to see in, I mean, all women shortlist are great. What we like to see is candidates that understand the issues and that under, have a commitment to kind of making real change. Um, we'd like to see candidates that are willing to engage with victims, that want to hear the survivor voice. Uh, and um, we're, we're open to working with, with any candidates that are open to working with us. Um, yeah, but it's an interesting one. So far, Philip Haller is the only person uh, from the police force or you know, working with the police force who has resigned um, as a direct result of the Sarah Everard case. Um, do you think that Cressida Dick should have also tendered her resignation in wake of what happened with the Met Police? I mean, I'm not here to call for people's resignation. Um, I think organisations have to ask themselves some tough questions and to set themselves some really kind of strong, firm challenges in the future. Everyone can see what's happened in the Met Police. They can see some of the failings that, you know, we're all outraged about the idea that Met Police are sharing images. And it's not just one case of shared images in the case of Nicole and Beaver Henry too. And we want to see some clear action um, to, to sort of change those attitudes and to ensure that those people in the police are, are, are weeded out and that and that um, other police officers will whistleblow, that, that they've got a culture there that, that doesn't accept this sort of behaviour and that people will come forward and, and let um, senior officers know what's happening with colleagues. But no, it's not, it's not my place to say who should or who shouldn't resign, um, but certainly we want to see some really positive action, don't we, and some good leadership. I want to turn a little bit to you and your experiences that have brought you to your role. Could you tell me a bit about your journey uh, to becoming Chief Executive of IDAS? Yes, of course. I, I missed out on some of the questions there, but I think I've got most of it. Um, well, I started, I'm in my early 50s now. So when I was growing up in the 70s, domestic abuse uh, was largely a hidden problem, but most families experienced it. 
I've had cousins that have experienced domestic abuse, I've had aunties. And I think one of the things that shaped me was knowing that there just weren't the systems in place to support victims of abuse. Um, women were largely um, stuck in marriages that were abusive. You know, divorce wasn't commonplace. Women couldn't claim benefits in their own right. Rape in marriage wasn't even outlawed until the 1990s. So when I was growing up, I had this keen sense of injustice, really, that, that abuse was commonplace and widespread. And things have massively changed during my time of working in the sector. But I started off as a children's support worker and I've sort of done most of most of the roles that there can be in domestic abuse services over the last 25, 30 years. And um, I was lucky enough to become manager at York Women's Aid when it was quite a small organisation. And I've really grown it into IDAS, which is obviously uh, now working across North Yorkshire and South Yorkshire. So a bit of a journey I've been on, but uh, it's been an interesting one. And I've seen lots of really positive changes over the last 25, 30 years as well in policing, in attitudes, in um, the type of funding that there is for support services. But there is still a big way to go, I think, before we can get things right. I'm really interested what you said there about the fact you've seen lots of changes because, of course, we have seen lots of changes both in terms of the law and in societal attitudes. But there's so much more that still needs to be done. What would you like to see happen in the next five years uh, to aid survivors of domestic violence and violence against women and girls? Yeah, it, that, again, that's a really good question. Uh, Women's Aid have um, worked out that we're probably short of about 4,000 refuge spaces in the country. So we've only got half the amount of refuges that we need for people that need to escape abuse. We've got big issues, I think new issues around um, access to violent pornography that young people are watching and access to social media, which can, um, I suppose, create the environment where there's more coercive control and, and people are watched all the, you know, more, more openly and, and things like that. So. I think we've got to deal with the new technology and, and how that's being used to control and manipulate victims. And the Domestic Abuse Act, there's lots of good stuff in there. But um, you can create new laws, but without the resources to actually follow those laws through or to do the prevention work, they're only really as, as good as you know, a piece of paper. You've got to have the police that, that have the resources to follow things through. And you've got to have other alternatives, I think, in terms of education and prevention so that young people coming forward now and growing up in the culture understand what healthy relationships are and can, can kind of break free of some of those attitudes, I think, that have dogged us in the past. And looking over, you know, you're sort of talking about 25, 30 years working in this sector. Is there a particular moment or achievement that you look back on with significant pride I think it's really interesting I think most people in the sector will say the same there are so many personal stories of, of people escaping abuse that are so wonderful I've seen so many um, women who've lived with abuse for years and their children have lived with abuse for years that have come through and, and have gone on to break free and live um, safe lives and violent free lives I think in terms of changes politically the Domestic Abuse Act is a really good um, change. You know, there's lots of, of things in the Act that offer a lot of positive. I'd, I'd like to see more work done around the family courts. At the moment, there's still a presumption of contact with um, abusive parents that happens in the family courts that children have to have contact with them. I'd like to see that 
kind of um, challenged. And um, I think things like coercive control, that's now a criminal offence, that's a real positive. The defence of rough sex can no longer be used in, in murder cases, that's a real positive. But we've got a lot to do on not just systems change, not just legal change, but the cultural change. And I think men play a real big role in that. And I think, uh, you know, to, to have men working alongside us and beside us and, and, and doing that challenge as well in the workplace, in the home, with their friendship groups is a, is a real big, big, big ask. Sarah, thank you so much. Um, before I let you go, as promised at the start of the interview, I'd just like if you could let listeners of Pod's Own Country who are worried about themselves or about someone who they know or live with know how they can get in touch with IDAS if they wanted to. Yeah, we've got various helplines and you can just visit our website, idas.org.uk and find out more about that. And we've also got live chats as well for, for confidential free advice via our website. Thank you. And do, um, if you're listening to this um, and feel like that resonates with you, um, don't hesitate. Please do get in touch because there are organisations out there like IDAS that can help. Sarah, thank you so much for speaking to us on Pod's Own Country today. Um, it's been wonderful having you and all the very best with your continued work. Thank you very much, Victoria, and all the best to you too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pod's Own Country. If you have any topics you think we should be covering or any stories you think that we should be digging into, please get in touch with me over email on caitlin.doherty at jpress.co.uk. I'll speak to you next week.